Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Peyton Jones, and welcome to Hardcore Church Planning. My guest today needs no introduction. He is Alan Hirsch, and he is the author of multiple books. Um, he is uh, a part of 100 Movements. He is also the author of an amazing book. If you have not picked out, picked up, you need to stop what you're doing right now. You need to get your butt onto Amazon.com or wherever fine books are sold, and you need to buy a book called 5Q. He has also written The Forgotten Ways. Uh, you name it, he's written a ton of books, which we could go into all of them. Um, you know, but, uh, Faith Before Leap, um, he's written with, uh, Partner in Crime, uh, Michael Frost. But really today, I want to talk about 5Q, and this is the 5Q interview. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Pat. And, uh, yeah, it's a pleasure always to be with you, brother. Likewise. And I, I didn't complete my, my introduction of you because, I can't help it. I think because he's one of your heroes, but also you remind me of him. I like to think of you as the Einstein of church planting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like people, uh, it's like the, the older I get and the greater I get and uh, the more Jewish I look, <laughs> the more I look like Einstein. It's very true. Well, you you also like, bring an intelligence to the conversation that I think is, uh, is very refreshing. Um, some of your work is very rigorous. And, um, I mean, all your work is rigorous, but brother, we just appreciate you and, you know, the, the hard work that you're doing to take things to a new level. And I feel like you've done that with 5Q. Um, I feel like there was some real, um, groundbreaking. You've always been, uh, a bit of a, a thought pioneer pushing things to the next level. But, uh, you and I bumped into each other back in October and I remember just catching up with you and, and, and you just mentioned to me that you had been, and I, I, I before the interview, I said, Hey, I, I hope this is okay. Cause I know in some ways these are, these are private things, but it's not, uh, it's not a pharisaical thing, but you just said, I've, I've just been blessed. I've just been going through this, this season of prayer that's been refreshing. And when I read 5Q, I thought, man, that doesn't surprise me because sometimes you can read authors like, uh, Tozer or others and you just think, you were walking with God when you wrote that, you know, you were, you were tight. <laughs> so anyways, I, I don't know what your thoughts are about this, but can you tell me a little bit about the formation of 5Q and, 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 and what it was born out of? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a number of things there. Uh, and so um, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing to, to mention this. I do mention it actually in the book itself is that I do think 5Q is related to a certain renewal that I have been experiencing. Um, I think in so many ways over the last six or so years, um, my prayer life has never been better. Um, I've always struggled in prayer, to be very honest. It's never been a, something I've found easy. Now I can't, I don't want to stop. I mean, I, I can 
I come home from, I do a lot of travel, right? So I'm, I travel, I suck. <laughs> my prayer life and all my disciplines <laughs> suck, suck. They're really yeah. bad. So when I come home, it's like totally the opposite. I try make as much space as I can because I love it mm. uh, for prayer and, 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 and reflection. Uh, and I found my way to God. You know what I mean? I found my own particular way, which, you know, um, God works, you know, with that I seem to be able to communicate with God. I don't try and climb someone else's ladder anymore, I, someone else's uh, particular way. I mean, I've learned from all that, but I've found my way to God, which has been amazing. And uh, so, yeah, I, I can spend whole days in prayer now if I can. If I, if I, I'm more than happy to do that more than anything else. So that's been awesome. That's and awesome. Then, so now you're kind of like the punk monk as well as Einstein. That's how I'm going to think of you as well. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am a kind of punk monk now. Um, uh, and, yeah, so so 5Q, uh, a number of things have um, come together in that. I mean, you ask about where it's come from. The prayer, I think, has made me more alert to God. And then, um, and I think we mentioned this just before we started, that I've feel that, you know, like I'm not inventing anything here, quite the opposite, actually. The, the very notion of 5Q, uh, it plays off the, it riffs off this idea of IQ, which is, a, is an index of capacity of intellectual ability that is latent in an individual. And it's a, it's a measure to what degree uh, is intelligence operative in an individual, right? So uh, the idea of 5Q, you know, leverages off that metaphor, and, and it's the notion that these potentials, in this case five, it's APIS typology, five potentials lie latent or dormant within God's people and and that really uh, they are activated at certain times in history. When they are activated, I would argue, inevitably a movement does result uh, when they when they maturely activated. Yeah. Uh, in other words, there's a strong correlation between them and transformative movements yeah, of God's people. Uh, and then the other thing is that you know, I've always felt the significance of the text. It, it itself points towards, um, it connects to the ascension. This is not an incidental activity in the life of Jesus. It's the ascension where he proceeds to the right hand of the Father. And in his ascension, in his victory gifts, he gives these victory gifts to his church in its very foundation. In other words, at the very founding DNA of the church, founding event, uh, at the very foundations lie the fivefold typology, and um, you know we we play with them, we mess with them to our, our detriment. And the church has done a terrible, it's done a terrible, violent, um, uh, you know, uh, decoding of these elements out of our, our our language and our thinking. And I think it has done incredible damage. Uh, it is a fatal flaw in the life of the church because we've coded out the apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic. Um, so yeah, I was saying like these things are already there. I don't feel I've done anything new. I've just kind of articulated what I believe is ancient, and in every one of us and in every church, you know, uh, actually it's latent in Jesus most of anything else. Um, uh, ramble on, uh, and one of the other things I discovered in this book as I got deeper and deeper into it is that it's also latent in creation in. Uh, you know, what I call archetypes, which are recurring patterns in culture and in history and in human personality. Uh, these fivefold re are recurring patterns that are very evidently there outside the church, uh, let alone inside the church. Uh, then began to look in 
to the doctrine of God and realize that actually these are derived from who God is, as all of creation is. They bear his, his traces or his fingerprints, uh, and that, that, that we can find the roots of the apostolic in God in his sentness and, and in his design of the universe and his governance. We can find the roots of the prophetic in his holiness, his, his sense of justice, his call to relationship, you know, um, we can find the roots of the evangelistic, you know, function in in uh, God as Redeemer, Savior. You know, also the sentence that comes out there too. But but His great yes to society, to to history, to people. You know, He, he redeems us. You know what I mean? Uh, the roots of the the uh, shepherding gifts of founding God's uh, God's nature as Trinity in relationship, healing, wholeness, reconciliation. Mm. All these things. And your teachings as a no-brainer. Omniscience. God's wisdom, his knowledge, his, his truth, you know, these things deeply in our theological codes uh, are laced throughout creation, are reconstituted in Jesus Christ, bequeathed to the church uh, before it even gets to you and me, Peyton. It goes to the church as the body of Christ, the collective, and it's built into the very, very uh, genetic structure of the church. Um, uh and so much I will argue later on in the book that these are marks of the of the church. They identify us as distinction as distinctive, and these are then given to us as individuals as callings. Um, mm. But that's we're at the long we are at the far end of a long redemptive process for which God has been kind of you know building the world. You know, so I think the Apes codes play in that, which is quite incredible, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you know. Uh, just you know i i was able to to read uh in a you know a pre-release copy you would send it over to me and and i read it and as i was reading i got a sense of kind of like when a scientist is is discovering things yeah. um there's a joy you know the eureka moments you know and 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 i I, I kind of, you know, you mentioned something that, that reminded me of Newton when he said, you know, they said, oh, you know, you're, you're, and he said, I'm just thinking God's thoughts after him. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, that's the sense that I got reading was, and you were, you were very humble, but, but at the same time, you would, you had gone deeper. I had never made the connection between Jesus. Well, I've, I'd seen Jesus that, you know, these, these five gifts were you know embodied in christ and 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 that's very evident from ephesians 4 but the the real aha for me was when you pointed out well jesus is the image of the father the invisible god you know it was a dumb moment for me it wasn't an ah it was a oh my gosh i'm so stupid (laughs) have i never seen this this is amazing and then it was the way you unpack it where um Really, just even what you're saying, where it's hardwired into the fabric of the universe, um, to use the old systematic theology uh, uh, categorization that um, y- you've got supernatural revelation, yeah. um, you know, that, that we would say that the supernatural revelation of this is when God kicks these gifts down into us, um, into his church. That's the, 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 uh, you know, the, um, the indwelling of the spirit. He's there and these are, are meant to come out of us, even though they've been suppressed. But natural revelation that these things, this is a part of the natural revelation of God in the universe. You can see these patterns. 
you just said that. And, and to me, that was mind blowing. I had never even, I felt like, wow, we are in undiscovered country here yeah. um, or rediscovered country. Yeah. Actually, you know, so yeah, this is, uh, I mean, I was uh, introduced this con concept many years ago that, that apist is parts uh, of the orders of creation. Um, uh, and I've, I, I've written around that, I mean, but a one page somewhere. You know, I think it was in the Permanent Revolution, which is also a book on APS, by the way. And, uh, but I never really substantiated that. So, I mean, it just seemed, you, know, you look outside the church, I mean, Baton, the language alone precedes the church, right? The apostella was a function in secular society. It wasn't something particularly only in the church. So it's someone who was sent to represent uh, someone else as an agent of a king or a or a wealthy merchant and would act on their behalf. Uh, uh, so the word precedes, the word prophetes precedes the church too. It's, mm. it's just a Greek word that was out there and Paul appropriates it and gives it new meaning. Uh, the Bible does. And by the way, the word prophet is used 140 times in the New Testament. Um, I mean, it is definitely part of the very consciousness of the early church. But for most Christians nowadays, they can't even define what that is and when we get to express prophetic ministry, we seem to be always incredibly immature and divisive. Mm. We have no awareness of what maturity looks like in APS codes. It's because mm. we, we've just literally had our brain lobotomized, you know, you know, our collective brain has been lobotomized. It's very dangerous. And I think, um, yeah, by reappropriating these things, uh, you know, we were talking about this as being part of creation. By being able to see it there, there's, it's not as weird as we tend to think. You know, why would we block out the apostolic prophetic? I mean, like these are part of the pioneering gifts of people in creation. They don't, you don't have to be spooky about it. Right. It exists out there as well. And, um, uh, you know, we've always built statues to pioneers or prophets, secular prophets. Mm -hmm. and, you know, people who heal society, we, you know, secular shepherds, you know, we, we value those people, you know, mm. to be Christians. They're out there, you know. I think it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a very important uh, important aspect of the book. Yeah, it's it's part of, and it has to be part of our humanity um, naturally if we're created in the image of God. And and there was just that kind of um, that golden thread that goes through that fivefold thread where um, I, I think what this book does for people is it expands their mind. If you've been tempted to think, oh, this is just a leadership thing, yeah. um, then you've been missing the whole point of what yeah. that Ephesians 4 path. It's a God thing. It's a creation thing. It, it is a leadership thing. It's a human thing, right? What's that? It's a human thing. It's a human thing. Yeah, amen. Amen. And so uh, – uh, how has, cause I know, I know what that does in my brain, but, uh, but obviously we're not interviewing me. How do you think that changes everything that we do? Um, well, for one, it, it means that we, it, it exposes, uh, the fact that we've inherited an understanding of the church and its ministry. Uh, we've inherited an idea that has excluded, uh, a priori, the notion of the apostolic and prophetic particularly and also the evangelistic, although the evangelist or the evangelistic function has been reappropriated in the last 40, 50 years. Um, and actually brought about what I would argue is the church growth movement. 
So the megachurch is a direct result, I believe, of uh, evangelistic ministry being added back into our understanding of ministry. Prior to that, it was also excluded. People who were evangelistic had to do it in parachurches uh, or elsewhere. The local church had no real function for them. Um, but, I, but what is still missing is for largely from uh, evangelical churches, at least, are, uh, or Protestants generally, is the apostolic and prophetic. Um, and when, you know, when you look at it that way, we realize actually that we've, we've, we've got a flawed understanding of ministry. Uh, so uh, fatally flawed, I would argue. Um, so one of the images I use in the book, as you know, Clayton, is the idea of the body. Uh, well, the word body of Christ, of course, is meant to conjure up uh, images of, of body, right? And then Paul even uses this notion that each part does its work, right? So it's a system, right? A body is something that's happening all at once. Uh, it's not linear. It doesn't trigger cause and effect. Everything's happening now in your body. Uh, that's what makes life, right? So uh, apparently about 10 uh, dis discrete systems in your body, the endocrine, the chemical kind of thing, uh, the reproductive, uh, the cardiovascular, your heart and the blood, uh, the brain and nervous system, um, uh, skeletal, muscular, you know, you can name it so you go out to 10, right? You say, like, if one goes wrong, or, well, you know, it's not so hot, you're not feeling so good, are you? Uh, if two go down, hey, now you're in probably visiting the doctor a lot, and you're probably in the hospital. Three, you're most definitely in hospital and probably on life support. Four, you're dead. And you realize, actually, we're operating largely on an understanding of the body of Christ that's operating on 40%. 35, actually, 35% of our functioning systems, right? Mm -hmm. How do we expect to be healthy? So I think we have a very diseased, diseased understanding of the body of Christ. Right. And, uh, and, and correction here, and this is the most exciting thing, if we correct this, correction here brings, can usher in massive system-wide change. And that's why I think it's such a critical conversation for us to have now. Right. So... How does the correction come about? What, what, because what I love in the book is how you, you know, you've got a, um, the idea that in the same way you can test your IQ, you can test your 5Q. And of course, you've just given a statistic that 35%, an individual can do this, a church can do this, a yeah. denomination, uh, you can do it globally for the church. Um, I love how you've said, you know, within Protestantism, this is, you know, it might differ in another, in another realm of Christianity. Um, I, I love that you've got this where you can actually assess, you know, how much of the different, um, you know, uh, five roles is, is operating where. Can you unpack that a bit? Yeah. Okay. So to, to uh, perhaps explain that more fully, uh, it's important to say highlight one of the distinctives of the book uh, is this highlighting what I call organizational functionality. Now, when we do think of the fivefold, generally people think of it in terms of personal vocation, and there's nothing wrong with that, because I think that's what it aims towards, right? Um, but we very seldom, particularly as Protestants, think of the body of Christ dynamic. In other words, to what degree are these part of the very functioning of organization of the church, the very nature of church itself, right? So. I began to look into this uh, because I always was fascinated with the idea of fivefold as an assessment on a local church or uh, 
or in an organization, you can mm-hmm. take a look at that. Now, uh, in order to do this, say, the functions uh, are things that you can see being done, right? Um, now, remember, the image here is Jesus is the embodiment of the fivefold. He's the perfected apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. He reconstitutes them in his perfect life. And he bequeaths it to the body of Christ, right? So the body of Christ is the immediate recipient of Christ's callings or his vocations or his functions, his purposes, right? So the body of Christ as a whole receives it. And and so we say that this is locked into the very body itself, right? Um, before it gets to individuals. It's the collective thing. Now, when you can say this, we say, if you can, if you can say that every church then ought to have to be a reflection of Christ, the body of Christ as being the concrete expression of Jesus. Every church is meant to have apostolic functions, right? Now, no one can get away with that, by the way. Even the most ardent cessationists can't say that the church itself is not apostolic. The church is the missionary agency of God. Missio apostello is the same word, right? Right. We're the ones purposed to do a certain function only we can do. No one gets away with that. No local church can say, oh, are we exempt from the purposes of God, right? You can't say that. Right. So every church is apostolic. Right. Every church is prophetic. You're meant to sometimes stand, well, you're meant to stand up for God primarily, calling people to loyalty, faithfulness, repentance, right. um, relationship with God. And no one, no church should say, well, you don't have to do that. Every church is meant to do that. In other words, the church itself is a prophetic agency. And you can go down the line. Every church is meant to be evangelistic, right? No one gets off that one. Every church is meant to do evangelism and to share the good news and invite people into the story. Every church is meant to be a community that is reconciled, healed, whole, forgiven, and is inviting all kinds of people into the relationship with God. That's what we, we do. We're meant to be shepherds. Right. So shepherds. And we're meant to be teaching. We're meant to be a bastion. We love truth. We love beauty. We love the things of God, right? So once you can say that, then you say, well, okay, then the ways that we can say these things are demonstrated. In other words, apostolic would be uh, uh, those functions of mission, right? So what's that? Uh, evangelism, I guess, uh, uh, church planting, uh, appropriate to us. Uh, aspects of social justice or social activism where we act in the name of God in the world. Anything the church does to extend God's mission in the world, right? Uh, you can measure this. See, once you can see that there's a function attached to these things, mm-hmm. you can you can identify the function, and here's the beauty. You can then measure that sucker. You can see to what degree a church practices its apostolicity or doesn't by the fact that it does has those functions or doesn't. So once you've done that, then you can develop a metric, and that's what I've done in the book is to say we've identified all the functions of the fivefold. And then once you say that, we can now look at an organization and say, okay, let's see if you're doing it. To what degree are you doing it? To what level are you doing it? And and so we, we can create a picture uh, of the organization's – we can diagnose the organization's capacities or incapacity, its function or its dysfunction. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a test at the core of it that I invite people to, to take a look at. I'm the Lord of the long answer, brother. You know, you know no, me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, – one, one of the things that you mentioned was the um, – and, and this is how I feel. I feel like when, when we talk to you, it's, it's 
I feel like it's Gamaliel time. You know what I mean? We're sitting at your feet. We're, we're hearing things that, um, I've read the book and even hearing you discuss it is a different angle yet again. And I think always as authors, you're, you're limited, you know, writing is not the same as speaking, but, um, honestly to hear you unpack it verbally is, is powerful. So, um, one of the things that, that I was thinking about is that, um, you mentioned the, uh, the prophetic, um, what is, you know, you, and you mentioned standing up for God and, and what do you see that, um, or, or maybe a, a better way to, to ask this is, do you think that's the big one, uh, that people have a problem with? Or is that, do you think the, the one that, um, or what is the one that, that the church seems most reluctant to explore and accept and grow in? Well, I think, uh, the prophetic is the, orphaned child of the church. Um, but there are prophetic movements out there. Um, I probably would put that the apostolic is the most alienated, um, even though that the functions are there in various ways, but in diminished force. But let me go back to the prophetic quickly. Um, so in the book, uh, and I can go deeper than this, but I, I've put it on a two, an axis, right? So the, if you think of a vertical and a horizontal axis, I would argue that the vertical prophetic, if you look at the in the Bible, uh, the Bible contains both prophecy or prophetic ministry contains both these elements in proportionate measure, right? So there's the vertical, which is the upreach, the mystical, the charismatic, the obsession with God, the attentiveness to God. Uh, it's somewhat more mystical, and it's the upreach kind of piece, right? And um, there are clearly movements that do this, both, you know, in the, in the the more classical mystical sense, but also the Bethel would be a good example. They're very God-oriented, God-obsessed people. Uh, then in the Bible, though, that's always attached to the vertical, which is the vertical prophetic is the social justice element or the application of God's righteousness in the world. Um, uh, and then the prophets are all about this. Read them. I mean, they say, you, I hate your worship services. That's upreach if you don't do the justice piece, right? And then there's stuff, you know, you never read, very seldom people are accused of doing justice without worship, mm -hmm. but none are yep. those efforts, you know. There are people who do that kind of stuff who have no real prayer life. And then there's dry activism, right? In the Bible, they're meant to be indexed to each other. So I would say in America, uh, if I could generalize this, what, what we tend to see in America is one or the other. They're the upreach yeah. groups, the... The you know the vineyardy type stuff and you know the uh, you know vineyard in the eighties at least uh, and then you know the metal now which is kind of the inheritor that kind of thing uh, or or you know the mystical and then you've also got the uh, your CCDA kind of social justice you know uh, you know civil rights kind of movement kind of you know stuff uh, which and often they they're not connected to each other brother yep yeah. Uh, that's not mature and it's not healthy. Um, they need to be connected. Yeah. You can't claim to love God and adore him and not love your neighbor. You can't just love your neighbor and not claim to love God. The two are inexorably connected. And I would argue that, that um, yeah, most of what I see in America, is it's, it, it lacks a healthy, it's precocious, it's overdeveloped in one and yeah. under in the other. And then, and then prophetic movements are often just, disconnected to the larger church. So they're actually 
a whole lot of people, you know, feeding each other's madness very often. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because, you know, the way that I really came to this understanding was really through church planting. And this is probably why church planting is is so such a passion of mine is I had quit ministry. I was, I was done. You know, I, I, I was working in a Starbucks, but it, it just seemed as if God brought to this reading group that we had people from the charismatic background. Uh, many, many of them are more prophetic. Um, people from a reform background. I always think that a lot of the, the, the teachers that the church has, you know, they, we migrate towards our, our camp. And then yep. people from the Anglican back, like we were all thrown together. And I remember one of my mentors said, Hey, uh, you think you're going to plant a church with this? And I said, man, it's already happened. I'm not doing it. But he said, it will never work because all these people are so different. And I said, I, I, I look, I mean, far be it from me, you know, that you're probably a lot wiser than I am, but I said, it's the best thing I've ever been a part of. And not only did it work, it changed me. I came to this stuff on accident. I came across your book later and went, that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not surprised at all. And by the way, you know, the interesting thing on that, I mean, precisely that issue, in fact, you say it in a very practical way. Uh, I believe that until we've got all five operative in any local agency or church, you'll never be mature. And you know what? The Bible itself says that. So if you read the Ephesians text 1 to 16, uh, Clearly, it, it makes the direct link of maturity. So, in other words, in, in verse 12, mm-hmm. use the word katechismo, uh, uh, which we usually translate in the modern translation as equipped. Uh, and that's quite legitimate, by the way. Equip God's people for works of service, right? So that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, equip is one translation that is possible. But other translations, like the King James, use the word perfect. And the word catechismo could mean make complete, heal, restore, perfect, and equip, right? So it can be any of those, right? Now play that down the line. So he's given apis that to equip, to perfect, to heal, to make whole, to complete. <laughs> now <laughs> that you can never be complete. And then he goes, he, he uses the term mature later twice. He uses that you might be mature. Yeah. Teleos in the Greek. Teleos means uh, to fulfill what you know, what the, the purpose of the organization, teleos means, you know, it's got a hint of purpose. Um, he uses the word paroma, which is the fullness of Christ. My goodness, Apis is connected with the fullness of Christ, that you might attain to the fullness of Christ. In other words, if you don't have Apis, you can neither be mature, you can never heal, you'll be constantly, you know, struggling to kind of do the functions of, of what the church is meant to do, and you never attain to the fullness of Jesus. It, we're doomed. Right, without fivefold. So when those two, co- when those all those five come together, you've got the church. Right. You know. So we shouldn't be surprised that you need all those four pieces together. Absolutely. Well, Alan, it has been. You know, I could sit and pick your brain for hours. Um, grateful for your time. Um, that's all we have time for. But uh, guys, you can go to fiveqcentral.com. And you can check out everything that Alan uh, is doing. He's got a site there. Um, he's got various authors uh, on there contributing. But uh, it is a goldmine of information. If this has just whetted your appetite, make sure you get that book. And you can buy that pretty much uh, 
It, where's the best place to get it, Alan? Yeah, actually, I was just going to say, it's actually better. Sorry, there's a helicopter going <laughs> We did discuss this possibility. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem with that. We call them ghetto birds here, right? See, when you start saying important things, man, the black helicopters come out. Alan's wearing, for those of you that can't see, he's wearing a tinfoil hat right now. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, always keep it on, man. Um, yeah, so the best place to get it. The book is cheaper on, on the website. So, yeah. I mean, you can get it at Amazon and all those Barnes and & Nobles and all that stuff. But but um, but it's it's cheapest on the website, 5Q Central. Uh, and, and, yes, there are other resources. The assessments are there. I would say with the new assessment, not just the APES vocations test, which has been out for a while, but the new assessments are best done once the person has read the book. Yeah, because it really have to kind of be clear about the functions of the APS. So yeah, think about that. Don't buy the assessment and try it out. Get the book first and read it and reread it. It's not a book that you're going to get in one reading. It's, I was it's, just going to say that you you have to read this book uh, more than once. So if it, if it's anything, Peyton, I would say understand that I've in producing that book, I've read it probably a no no sorry, I'm going to say five hundred times, <laughs> probably more. Yeah, but I'm say minimally, you know, it's, it's just it takes a lot. You know, I've put this one particularly. I felt the significance of the material to such a degree. I mean, I put a lot of work in three years in the making. Yeah, and these five hundred reads, I think it, it deserves a few to gonna get the, to mine out what there's. Yeah, voice shows, brother. This this was, in my opinion, I I thought Permanent Revolution was a masterpiece, um, but I this one is it's up there as kind of something special to be honest so um appreciate the hard work the hard work on this book shows the amount of research and uh, what i also liked too was there was a poetic flair to it and (laughs) that was for emphasis (laughs) that's my contribution to the to the noise on this uh podcast but um, you know, uh, it, it, there was a poetic flair and it, it, there was a good dose of pop culture, which, uh, I enjoyed obviously being me. Um, that is, you're speaking my love language of pop culture, but, um, you know, at the end of every podcast, we have a question we always ask, and I can't bring myself to ask it of you. Um, normally we pit somebody together in a fist fight and I know you, I know that you, uh, you're not going to fight anybody. So I'm going to go in a more productive, uh, it's just always a joke, uh, question that we put who would win in a fist fight. Obviously, Michael Frost is the beast, even though he's a lover. Um, but we, you know, he's our big guns. But, uh, but what I would like to do, cause I think you've been, um, you know, confessor, you've been wrestling with the angel and that's probably the best fight anyone can ever be in. I would like to ask for those that, that heard you at the beginning and, were inspired as you said, Hey, I suck at prayer, um, normally, but I'm in a, I'm in a sweet time. Uh, any practical advice? And the reason I say this is years ago, I decided I was going to go on a quest for a deeper prayer life. And I read all the big books on prayer. And I will tell you at, at the end of it, my prayer life suffered worse than ever. <laughs> it didn't oh, help yeah. me at all. Oh, guilt, um, right? Yeah, I don't know what it was, but I, I, you know, it, there, there was a sense in which it didn't resume against in, in again until I forgot everything I'd read yeah. and just relaxed. And yeah. I just wanted to kind of ask, is there any in your journey 
you said you don't climb other people's ladders, and I found that really helpful. Um, what, what's been a, a, a real turning point or difference for you on this? Um, oh, that's good. I mean, that's a, again, I don't want to go long here on this, but I think actually finding your own distinctive, unique personality that God has made you to be, uh, your unique humanity that no one else can reproduce. Um, I, I said this, uh, that the Jewish prayer has a, has a, and by the way, I found Jewish prayer very good too. It's very concrete. I'm I'm reading your stuff. If you look on your if you look on your Facebook, you'll find me liking almost every time you do that because those are ministering to me as well. Those are rich. All right, because they they not like they don't have to be politically correct. They beseech God and they are honoring, and it's just wonderful. Anyway, but there's a phrase that says, "Lord, may I find my portion? Grant me my portion in your Torah, in your." In, 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 in your law. And um, when you go into that phrase, what the rabbis mean by it is that there's something only patent because you're a unique human being. Uh, there's an interpretation that you can bring to the Torah that only you can bring. If you do not find that interpretation, that unique contribution, it will never be contributed. Uh, and I would say that there's something in that, in that finding out who we are shaped to be by God, our story, our distinctiveness, and then out of that distinctiveness, what naturally draws you to God? Pursue it, brother. Pursue it, uh, because there's something in that. It's about how God wants to kind of have a sweet relationship with you. Mm. Be intimate in that very unique space that's just you and him, right? Yeah. That's unrepeatable space, right? So I would just say, don't try and climb other people's ladders. Climb your own. Learn from others. Be willing to just find your own way to, to the love of God, and you'll know because your heart will resonate with it. Mm, that is that is valuable. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for giving us the smack talk on prayer, as it were. <laughs> and uh, always a blessing. Always so enriched and uh, challenged and moved, and um, I, I would say aware that uh, there's a much broader world um, after every time I talk with you. So thanks yeah. for blessing our guests. Thanks for being on here. Remember, guys, 5qcentral.com. You can also go to forgottenways.org, and uh, you can find Alan on Facebook. Definitely pick up this book. Alan, thanks for coming on to the show. Thanks, Peyton. God bless you, brother. All right. Well, this has been Hardcore Church Planning, and our guest today has been Alan Hirsch. Arnold, take it away. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.